0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Zechariah, if you will, chapter 5. In this fifth chapter, we have two of the visions of Zechariah. In fact, we have them numbered 8 and 9, and then we have uh, in the, t- in the uh, sixth chapter, we have uh, the tenth one. But here's the two that we have in chapter 5. We have... Uh, verses 1 through 4, the 30-foot flying roll. The 30-foot flying roll. And then starting down with verses 5 through 11, we have uh, the ephah bushel basket. The Old Testament, the ephah was about seven and a half gallons, which is equivalent to a bushel. And, uh, of course, they had liquid measures of the ephah as well as the uh, solid measure. But this, of course, would leave in the basket and would uh, naturally constitute the solid measure. But they were both the same, whether it was liquid or solids. But anyway, we'll get into this first one and uh, try to give you as much meaning as we can out of it. Some of these passages are very difficult, and there's uh, different uh, commentators and uh, uh, Bible. Expositions that differ on some of the things, but we'll do the best we can to give you what we believe is really spoken of here. And there's a lot of it that has to connect us with the book of Revelation as well. And we'll, we've already pointed that out in the last lesson where the two anointed ones were spoken of, and we found the two uh, olive trees spoken of in Revelation, I believe, is chapter 11. And it represented the two witnesses in that particular time. In the Old Testament, it represented Zerubbabel and Joshua, those two olive trees. But in the New Testament, in Revelation, we came to the conclusion probably that it could be the two prophets, Moses and Elijah, uh, representative of the law and of the prophets. And uh, others think it's someone else, but we're, we gave you what we thought about that. But let's pick up in chapter 5, if you will, please. And verse one, and this is the vision of the thirty-foot flying roll. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll. When we say a flying roll, it was like a scroll that uh, they was used to write on until papyrus or something rolled up. Before we got, uh, they came to where we had paper and things of a different nature to put into a book form. But there was in you know the old a testament was on rolls or scrolls with a roll on each end to roll it apart or together and turn it over and read on. It was written on both sides. But then I turned to lift up my eyes and looked and behold a flying roll. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. The length thereof is 20 cubits. That's 30 feet. And the width thereof, the breadth thereof, 10 cubits. 15 feet. This is the same dimension of the porch of the Temple, And so it's 20 cubits, or 30 feet, and 10 cubits, 15 feet. Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. So, let's stop there just a moment. This is the curse. So, the law is going to be shown here against all those that have broken the law. And we're going to find out as we study this that uh, it's the law of the curses and blessings... Actually, you find uh, the blessings and curses back in Deuteronomy 27-28. Remember on the two mounts of Mount Ebal and Mount what, Garrison, that uh, you had the, the curses on one hand and the blessings on the other hand. And so, uh, you know, if you obey God, you can be blessed. If you disobey God and sin against His Word, you be, there, there was a curse. Especially, it pointed out the different things that were done to bring these curses upon or judgments, we we put it that way, upon uh, people that disobeyed the the law and the word of God. And so what we see here is then is the size of this. It must it was huge. And it was written on both sides. Let's let's read. Verse three Then said he unto me, this is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth, for every one that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it, and every one that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. So it was written on both sides, signifying the two tables of stone of the law of God. And written on both sides, the curses are found in Deuteronomy chapters 27-28. We find the curses and the blessings. And this roll is of immense size. You know, that's quite a, quite a spread, isn't it? Fifteen feet wide and thirty feet long. A scroll that he could see flying through the sky written on both sides, almost, well, at least half as wide, a little over half as wide as this church. This church is 28 feet on the outside measurement. So it would be over half. It would be like from the one edge of your pews to, to the wall. It would be about 15 feet. And about as long as this auditorium. So that's quite a thing to see flying through the air with God's law, calling attention to God's law and the curses upon His people for disobedience to that law. So Zechariah is reminding them then if what he sees is that the judgment of God is going to come upon uh, his own people for disobedience. And he's going to name some of that disobedience in just a moment. And we'll see what it is. But think of it for a moment. The Bible tells us that we're all going to be judged or all have been judged by that law, Jews and Gentiles. And the Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And that's Galatians 3.13, I believe. So, we find that uh, the, the word here is showing that these people in that day were disobedient to God. And He had to judge them accordingly at that time. And there will be a judgment in the future for them. During the tribulation period, when at the time of Jacob's trouble would come upon them because of their disobedience to God, And He will have to correct them through severe judgments in the tribulation period. And we'll get into some of that in a little bit. But whether it's in the Old Testament or even the present situation, God's Word is still true and He still, uh, whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And if we sin against God's Word, well then... We have to suffer the consequences of breaking God's law. And it's still true today and it always will be true. Someone said, well, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He did, or otherwise we'd be suffering the penalty of a broken law eternally. But it doesn't mean that God's law is still not in effect when, it, when, it, uh, when you break God's law today. When God's Word says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, there's a penalty for that under God even today. Thou shalt not steal, there's a penalty for stealing today even from from God, let alone from mankind. And we know that God does uh, chasten His children when they break His law. The Bible says, now listen carefully, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. It doesn't say He's the end of the law, period, but for righteousness We cannot be righteous by keeping the law, and we're not made righteous in that way, but it doesn't mean that God's law is of no effect as far as people breaking the law today. It means simply that we found redemption from the curse of it and the penalty of it. And so a lot of people misunderstand the law. So, we know that uh, He's the end of the law for righteousness, but He's not, of course, exempting us from being disobedient to His law. Says, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's still in effect. You have other gods before God, you're an idolater. If you take the name of the Lord in vain, you're committing sin against God. If you swear against your neighbor falsely, you're committing a sin against your neighbor. The first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with God's relationship I mean man's relationship to God. The last six have to do with man's relationship to man. And if you'll study them out, you'll find that that will be the case. But here we're simply dealing with the Word of God in a sense that uh, we find them stealing and swearing. And we'll get read that in just a moment. But let me just go further to say that remember the man that came to Jesus and he said, uh, Good Master, what good thing uh, can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Thou knowest the commandments? Now, what did Jesus start with? He says, if you keep those, He says, but Jesus didn't start with thou shalt have no other gods before Me. He started with what? He started with those that thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, and so on and so forth. He started and He dealt dealt with those things that had to do with man's relationship to man. You see, if He is guilty of those, let's put it this way, why bring out the big guns when the little one will do? See what I mean? He, he couldn't even find himself not guilty of the least of the commandments, let alone the greatest ones that have to do with man's relationship to God. Jesus ends up with that. When, he, when this young man said, well, all these have I kept, or observed, is what he meant, from my youth up. And Jesus said, yet lackest thou one thing. Now he's going to get into the business of gods. He says, if you, if you will be perfect... By the law, of course, if thou be perfect, you sell all that you have and come and follow me. And that proved that he had other gods besides the Lord. The man it says the man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What what was wrong? His great possessions were more than following Jesus. Now, someone says, Well did Jesus expect him to sell everything he had? I don't believe he did. I believe he was just really putting him to the test so he would confess that he had broken God's laws in every direction because the man had to have his own needs supplied, as all of us do have to have have domestic needs met. But it surely was a test, wasn't it? He says, if you want to be perfect, you sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And it really was a test to show him where where he had failed. First of all he was showing that he didn't keep the first I mean the last of the six commandments which had to do with man's relationship to man, because he would just as soon if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'd just soon your neighbor'd have it as you. And then on the other hand, if he would if he if he'd part from his riches and follow Jesus, he'd certainly show that he had no other gods besides the Lord Jesus Christ. So in both tests he would fail. And you know that the only person that ever went away from Jesus sorrowful was was a person that tried to justify himself by keeping the law. That's the only person I find that went away sorrowful. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now then, we're not justified by keeping the law. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, is what the Bible tells us. All right, let's hurry on with this uh, and get down to the meat of what we see here. In verse 3 it says, Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For every one that steals shall be cut off as on this side according to, to it, and every one that swears shall be cut off, cut off as on that side according to it. See, it was written on both sides signifying the two tables of stone of the law of God, you know Ezekiel had a similar vision in Ezekiel chapter two, verse nine and ten. Let me read just a couple of verses for you. In verse nine and ten, it says, "And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein, a roll of a book. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. You see that? And there was writing thereon, therein, lamentations and mourning and woe." The one that Ezekiel saw had lamentations. That's weeping, mourning, and woe. And so we find that he had a similar vision of a role. Look in the book of Psalms 50. Psalm 50, verses 18-22. through 22. Notice what it says here. When thou sawest a thief, remember, everyone that steals, him that stealeth. We're referring to the same context as we find in the book of... Uh, Uh, Zechariah. It says, When thou sawest a thief, then thou contendest with him and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frameth deceit. That's the swearing. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, that ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. You see, God is going to judge those that commit such things. Back in Zechariah quickly, and we'll hurry along. Zechariah chapter 5. So, in verse 3, he said, uh, Then said he unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth, for every one that stealeth shall be cut off as one... On this side, according to it, and every one that swears shall be cut off, as on that side, according to it. Psalm fifty, verse eighteen through twenty-two, we just read for you. We referred you to Ezekiel two nine and ten, where he saw a similar vision. In verse four, it says, "I will bring it forth," saith the Lord of hosts, "and it shall enter into the house of the thief, and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by." My name, and it shall remain in the midst of his house. God had a way of causing a house to be defiled and unclean. The leper had that situation. And it says, and and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. The leper's house could be full of leprosy. You say, well, how did all this happen? You go back and read. Well, look in Leviticus, if you will. Chapter 14, verse 45. Leviticus 14, verse 45. I want you to look at this. Okay, let's read verse 44. And the priest shall come. This is Leviticus 14. And this is leprosy in the house that it's talking about. Say, how can that be? Well, here's what God's Word says. Then the priest shall come and look. And behold, if the plague be spread in the house, it is a fretting leprosy in the house. It is unclean. Now look, in verse 45. And he shall break down the house the stones of it, and the timber thereof, and all the mortar of the house, and he shall carry them forth out of the city into an unclean place. You see, it was unclean. Moreover, he that goeth into the house all the while that is shut up shall be unclean until the evening. And he that lieth in the house shall wash his clothes. And he that eateth in the house shall wash his clothes. And so on and so forth. So you find that there was destruction Back in Zechariah now, notice what it says. The last part of verse 4. And it shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. So you see, for, for swearing against God, swearing falsely, and stealing, verse 3, and swearing, verse 3, all of these things invited the judgment of God. And that invited the judgment of God for Israel of old and for you and I who are Gentiles of this day and hour. The judgment of God comes upon all those who break God's Word deliberately and find themselves in a place where as we as children of God are chastened for our sins and corrected. Well, in a sense, they were being chastened or judged. Maybe a little more severely because they were under the law. We know this is a day and age of grace, but God's children still invite God's chastening hand when we disobey God. And you can look out in society and you can see how it affects society today. You look out here and you see a a, a person that's breaking all the laws of God, and you'll see the consequences in his life and the results of it. If you look at all the unclean Uh, immoral sexual acts that uh, men and people commit, men and women commit, you'll see the judgment not only in disease, but in heartache, in heartbreak, and in everything that happens in society. Because it's sin against God. And we find that in young people growing up that, that have sexual relationships before they get married, have babies on every hand. And they have to suffer the consequences. And and you know, when you look and see the sad consequences of those things, and then even if they're grown and married and there's an adulterous situation in families, they have to pay the price too for their sin. You see, there's a high cost to sinning. Remember old David. Teared still at Jerusalem when the kings went forth to battle. And he saw a woman, Bathsheba, bathing over there. And he lusted after her. He saw he, he saw. he took. Committed adultery. Then he tried to cover sin up. Sent for Uriah. Got him home. Tried to... Made him drunk. Then when all of his plans didn't work to, to try to cover up his sin, he sent, him, he sent a letter in the hand of Uriah to the forefront of the battle. And this... Letter contained Uriah was such a man, a quality of a man that he didn't open the letter. He gave it to the commander, commander out there on the field, the general or whoever you want to call it, and uh, he was to be put. Uriah was to be put in the forefront of the battle, so he would be killed. That's what David did. Look at what it cost him. Then the baby died. One of the brothers tried to rape the sister, and did. Tamar. And as a result, one was killed. And then Absalom, his dear son, he thought so much of, turned against him and his kingdom. The sword never. De- Nathan said, the sword shall never depart from your house. And what happened? Absalom turned against him, tried to rend the kingdom from him and take uh, power and control of the kingdom. And he was hung in the forks of a great oak tree as his mule ran under. And they had to finish him off. And what happened? The message came back to David and he said, now look at his heartache. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, that he dearly loved. See the high cost of sinning? Where did it start? A man just being lazy. That's where it started. A man just taking it easy. When the kings went forth to battle, David tarried still at Jerusalem and began to be restless upon his bed. And He lifted up his eyes and, and you know the results of that. Back to this now. Let's look at verse 5. Let's read it all, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what it is. What is this that that goeth forth? And I said, What is it? And he said, Listen, this is an ephah that goeth forth. A bushel. Seven and a half gallons. He said, Moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talon of lead. And this, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of an ephah. Here's a woman sitting in the middle of a bushel. And there was a talon of lead. And this was used to cover. He said, this is wickedness. And he cast into the midst of the ephah. And he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. In other words, he closed it up. Then lifted up mine eyes and looked. And behold, and I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women of the wind, was in their wings, for they had wings like, like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heavens. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do these bear the ephah? And he said unto me, To build it an house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established and set there upon her own base. land of Shinar is Babylonia. land of Shinar. You know, all the things that are happening today over in Iraq... Think of the geographical relationship to what's found in the Bible when we come over in the book of Revelation. Babylon, Babylon the great is fallen. The whole land, in fact, between the two rivers, the Euphrates and and the uh, Tigris is located the very place. And all of the things that are happening over there are going to be relevant when we study the book of Revelation. And I don't know how far we'll get on this, but I want you to look at it very carefully. The whole setting is there. But let's look at this, first of all, in verse 6. The ephah is a Jewish measure standing here for commerce. In other words, trade. Take a bushel of wheat, a basket full of uh, goods, material, uh, whatever the, the food element or the, uh, the uh, contents may be, it stood for commercialism, for commerce. And it says, the eyes of all the earth are upon it. You know, the first three of the visions that we had in this book of Zechariah spoke of comfort for Jerusalem on their return from Babylonian captivity and as they were restored. It spoke of the restored nations. But the last three of these visions speak of judgment. And here in this sense, we not only carry the judgments that you find in this uh, book of Zechariah, but you'll find it carried on over into the book of Revelation. And we'll try to give you a resemblance here in a minute, moment and give you some relationship to it. Uh, first of all, I want you to notice in verse uh, 7 it says, Behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. This represents the woman, this talent of lead, that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, This is wickedness. The word wickedness here in the Old Testament is the same word that we find. Look, in Second Thessalonians two eight, where it's uh, this is the Hebrew in the Old Testament, wickedness. But in Second Thessalonians two verse eight, when it's speaking of that man of sin, let me give it to you. Second Thessalonians two verse eight, and then shall that wicked be revealed, wickedness whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of His mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of His coming. He's spoken of in verse 3 there as that man of sin that will be revealed, the son of perdition. But Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8 uses the same word here for the wicked as is used for this wickedness of this woman represented in the Old Testament. And we're going to find as this relates to the book of Revelation, look in Revelation chapter 18, if you will, and verse 3. For all the nations, all nations have drunk the, of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, her wickedness, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Drop back to seventeen while you have it in in your uh, hand. Drop back to seventeen, verse four. Seventeen, verse four. It says. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations. Look, and filthiness of her fornication and upon her forehead was written a name written, was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Wickedness in all of its terrible aspects. You're going to find... That is, we keep your place there in Revelation 17 and 18, if you will. But commercialism is very prominent in Revelation in connection with the, the full measure of wickedness that we've just described. And in Revelation 18, you'll find that the merchants are mentioned who uh, have grown rich through what? Her delicacies eighteen verse three. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Well I wish I had time to expound all this, but let's just take a little bit of it. Try to get some of it. If you notice in verse three it says you have Revelation eighteen three, kings. In Revelation eighteen eighteen three you have merchants. So you have the political, the kings, and the commercial and we've already studied, if you uh, have studied before that, you have ecclesiastical Babylon. So you have in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, and other places too, but let's even confine our thoughts to 17 and 18. Well, if you want the, the spiritual aspect of it, look in 17 verse 3. It says, she's full of names of blasphemy. That has to do with religious aspects. Verse 6 says, and I saw the woman drunken. You have 17. Verse 6, the woman drunken with the blood of saints. See, that's the religious aspect. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. This certain, certainly wasn't political or commercial, was it? And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So I just wanted to point out those three aspects that you'll find in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 to, to give you three things about This passage of Scripture, we've already been talking about commercialism, as Zechariah points out. The ephah, the bushel basket with the woman in the midst of it. And we've already mentioned the merchants here, but I'll give you some more about them in a moment, and we'll continue with that commercial aspect of it. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Ecclesiastical Babylon, what we just pointed out, names of blaspheming, the blood of martyrs, the blood of the saints, that has to do with religious, the martyrs of Jesus. That has to do with apostate Christendom during the tribulation period. You might just put down, number one, Ecclesiastical Babylon. Number one, apostate Christendom. Number two, commercial Babylon. The merchants that are spoken of. Number three, political Babylon. The kings and the princes and so on. And we have in the context of all of this, all three of these, in evidence. Let's notice the aspect we've been dealing with from the book of Zechariah. And notice this in the chap- 18th chapter. I may not get to the, the political Babylon. would have to do with the kings, mostly, you, you find in chapter 17. But let's, let's just confine our thoughts now quickly to the Uh, well, you'll find them in the 18th chapter, but you have Revelation chapter 18. Let's follow it on down and read it. Uh, Beginning with verse uh, 9. Verse 9 now. We read verse 3 where it said the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth. In verse 3, you have Revelation 18. Now look at verse 9. And the kings of the earth. There you have the political aspect again. Who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament This after she's... uh, struck with plagues, when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, that's verse 10, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Now look, in verse 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. That's what they are made rich by. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones, of pearls and fine lemon, of purple and silk and scotch, of scarlet and fine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. And the fruit that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all the things, all things which were dainty and good are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich of her, by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. And saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught. Look at that. And every shipmaster, look how the commercialism comes in. Every shipmaster and all company and ships and sailors and as many as trade, I'm emphasizing the words, by the sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing. Now look, Alas, alas, that great city wherein uh, were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. In one hour she is made desolate. If you go back to 17, the last verse, look at the last verse in chapter 17. It says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now that's 17, verse 18. The woman that you saw. The woman that is this mystery of uh, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth, drunken with the blood of the saints. It tells us that she was... Look at verse 15. You have... We have Revelation 17, verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples. She sitteth upon many waters. That's verse 1. I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Okay, and what are the waters? Verse 15. He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are what? Peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. The waters representing the nations. And it goes on to tell about the ten horns and the, and, and the uh, represent ten kings. And the seven heads are seven mountains. And we could go on to that, but we won't have time. But that shows you the uh, political aspect. Look at verse 12. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. We have the political beast then you're going to have the religious beast too. The Antichrist, the false prophet. But we won't have time to expound all that. But I do want you to see that there's definitely a connection between the book of Zechariah and uh, the book of Revelation. In fact, when you get over into the the, uh, 14th chapter, you'll find... In verse one, Zechariah fourteen, but turn back to Zechariah, just to show you how it's connected with the book of Revelation. Fourteen verse one says, "Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, the battle of time." And and the city shall be taken, the houses ravelled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of people shall not be cut off from that city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when He fought in the day of battle. And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. That's when the Lord comes, which is before Jerusalem. He left that place and He's coming back. Acts 1.11 says this same Jesus. We'll have to close with but which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen Him go into heaven. Well, we won't have time to expound all that, but I, do want to, I did want to point out a relationship to that book. As we progress along in the book of Zechariah, we're going to see so many connections about uh, the tribulation period and then especially the second coming of Christ in power and great glory. When he will come back, and that'll connect us with Revelation chapter 19, which is in sequence of 17 and 18 that we just studied. So look for that, and thank you very much for your patience.